Welcome to First Generation Burn, a podcast dedicated to immigrants and the creative community. My name is Rich Tu and I'm your host. We're back today recording Canal Street Radio and our guest today is Gabrielle Anami. She is an art director at Google Music and also she was at And Walsh and she was a co-founder of the studio Barca in Sao Paulo, Brazil. We talk about her heritage as Japanese Brazilian, how she brings her identity into her work, and also what it means to be a designer at scale, and also making the move from agency to brand. Uh, it's a really big conversation today. It's fun, and uh, we just have a really great time in here. It's super exciting. And we talk about artificial intelligence, machine learning, and what that may mean for the design community. So stay tuned for that. Without further ado, here's our conversation with Gabriel Lanami. Gabby, thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. Of course. No, last time I s we saw each other was virtually when we were judging Colorful. But the last time we physically That's saw true. each other, we were in Dallas <laughs> judging... <Eating> barbecue. <laughs> I was just thinking about that today, how uh, sometimes those judging experiences, and this was for DSVC, sometimes those judging experiences are, you know, they can be a mix of, wow, we're going to fight over you know, the particulars of... Some I don't know design entry or whatever like an advertising spot, uh, then you'll just have like a wild party afterwards. But this is a, it was a good energy. It's like you, me, Chris, yeah. Alex Center. It was like just fun. Like I didn't expect it to be that much fun because I was like, oh, we're gonna be talking about design all day. We were, but also we were like laughing all day, getting to know each other. Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, just bring it over. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you if you're a lean back person, just just do this. Do one of these situations. <laughs> All right. So welcome to first generation burden, Gabby. Back recording at Canal Street Market. This is literally uh, the first time that I've sat in this booth in about a couple years. So this is kind of fun. I'm trying to get my sea legs back. I've been doing it virtually for a minute. Wow, that's special. Yeah, I know. Uh, so yeah, let's start this conversation the way that we start every conversation. Tell us a little bit about who you are and where you're from. I'm a Brazilian designer and art director. Um, I am third, fourth generation Japanese and I am the daughter of a furniture designer and a accounting versus a slash lawyer. So I have the both worlds in me, the very traditional Asian dad and yeah. a little bit more of a more open-minded, creative person. Oh, um, really? Oh, that duality? Yeah. I read that Brazil has the largest population of, uh, the largest Japanese population outside of Japan. It is true. And I, I think it's really interesting because, you know, like, it's really different to be Asian in, like, United States or be Asian in Brazil. At the same time, it goes for anyone in any country. It is there are different experiences, and yeah. like because they there were so many Asian people in Brazil, it was a very interesting. Um, like the community seems really rich. Yeah, and but at the same time, it's like most people were not first generation or second generation. They are like third, four. You know, yeah. like the the Japanese immigration in Brazil started like in the 19th century. Yeah, I, I was reading that the Japanese immigration to Brazil was like you're saying, like 19th century, like around 1907, 08. That's because there was a treaty between Brazil and Japan, and then also America 
in the wake of World War II, kind of like shut down its borders to the Asian community. So then Brazil became this hotbed of, or there was a, almost a direct line of, of immigration. It was really interesting. Yeah, and they were like promising land and like come work in coffee. And like a lot of people went there to basically make Brazil strong in coffee, like the Italians, the Japanese and so on. Yeah. And your dad was, you said a designer? No, no, that's my mom. Oh, your mom. My mom, my, my dad's very much not a designer. He's an accountant. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice. Well, you know, you need the business side. Yeah. So I want to hear about what that upbringing was like from a creative, from the creative standpoint, because something that I love about your work, and now I think we should probably say like now you're an art director over at uh, YouTube Music or Google Music, and you, a lot of the work that, um, that you do can be seen in the product. So if you, when you ever you open up the app, that's a lot of your creative voice in there. And previously your work over at Sagmeister and Walsh and also Studio Barca. And I love Zuba. I remember the first time I saw you, I was yeah. like very in love with the Zuba project. And also like, yeah, the gut identity. I want to talk about all that stuff. Like, tell me about your influences growing up. What were you seeing? And I want to, I want to hear a little bit about the uh, the Brazilian design mindset. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, I think at first, like on a micro level, like inside my family, um, like a lot of people, like my mom is a furniture designer. So a lot of people say like, wow, it must be so cool to grow up with a designer mom. I feel like my dad was such like a strong force and like that came from the best intentions, but he was like, not very supportive of me being a designer. And I always knew I wanted to be a designer since a young age, but I actually went to law school first. You went to law school? Yeah, for six months. Oh. <laughs> I was like, that is not my thing. Wait, let's dig into that. Wait, so what was the path almost to law school? So I was like, I was like, is this safe? Like, this feels like, I don't know. Like, I, I heard, I had the Asian dad telling me like, hey, like, this doesn't sound like a good path. Like, why don't you go for this? Like, why don't you go for something more secure, quote unquote? And like, right. at some point I was like, well, let me try this. And definitely not my thing. <laughs> <laughs> I like like the sociology part of it. That's really interesting, understanding people. But that's what we do as designers, right? right. And like, I personally found it more fulfilling to apply that knowledge in design. Yeah. Like humanistic design. Yeah. And like my mom was more like on the lines of do what you love. And I always had those two sides like what should I do? And I tried for six months. I interned in like a professor office and I was like, I don't, I feel I'm cosplaying like <laughs> someone that my dad wants me to be. But yeah. like, I don't know if I can sustain it for a long time. <laughs> I'm cosplaying as a lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no one knows. <laughs> so when you made the decision to, you know, pursue the path, what was that like when you told your parents? And then also, what were those actual steps? Did you just reconsider all, your entire academic experience? Well, growing up, I, I know that you probably had a very similar experience. Like, yeah. I was growing up and I was like, illustrating, like, and like doing, you know, photos and stuff I would post on like Photolog or Flickr and like Flickr yeah <laughs> <laughs> and I would get feedback there and I was like damn that's so cool 
And then I remember this one time I was like getting back from work with my cosplay suit and like I look at those drawings in my wall I was like damn that's what I want to do why why am I doing this like why am I pretending like why okay so this is something that I, I thought of like the generation of my parents like my dad he couldn't choose what to do you know he said it multiple times a job is a job and like you just you just do it. You just make it work. You're just, like, trying to pay bills and survive. And, like, he worked very hard, so I have the privilege to be able to choose. Why am I pretending I'm in his generation, you know? I do have that privilege, and, like, it is a little scary because no one did it before me, but I w maybe I should explore it, you know? And, like, I, want, I don't know if I want kids, but I want my kids to one day, like, maybe explore a little bit further, something yeah. that feels very unsafe to me. Um, I was like, that is super cool. I'm going to try this. And so I was like, okay, I'm, I'm getting back to... Like, getting back step, to the basics. Yeah, so... So how did you found Studio Barca? So... Oh, uh, wait, pit stop, though. Okay. I, I just want to talk about the, the Brazilian design aesthetic, at least yeah, yeah. The, the, the way that I perceive it. Because we're, we're designers at heart, and this podcast isn't all about designers, but when I talk to designers, I just want to, like, really dig in. The, the energy of Brazilian design that I see, it's, like, colorful, vibrant, feels like a people, feels like a place, there's energy, musicality to it. But I feel that especially with the aesthetic and that energetic aesthetic being a much more global thought, it feels like a real disruption of a traditional Eurocentric Swiss design sensibility. And, th and that's, I think, what we're seeing currently. It's like not to p put it in a trend space, but more like the validation of an alternative thought. So, and do you agree or disagree? What do you think, lawyer? <laughs> <laughs> May I approach the bank? <laughs> well, you just put in such beautiful wor words. Like, that's, um, I totally agree with you. Because, like, I went to a school that was, like, one of the first art schools in Brazil. And, like, the whole curriculum was based in the Bauhaus curriculum. Mm. So I was like, yeah, design, it's Bauhaus. And, like, it is. It's also, like, a bunch of other things. And I didn't learn that in school. And then, like, I remember meeting this Polish designer. And I was like, yeah, like, we learn, like, from the Bauhaus curriculum. He was like, what the fuck? Like, why? And you can curse on here, by the way. Oh, yeah. I was like, oh, is this for kids? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but also kids that can hear curses. <laughs> okay. And I was like, well, because that's what it is, right? And he was like... Why would a school in Brazil learn from a curriculum from a school in Western Europe? And I was like, oh. And, you know, like, the more I grew and I started, like, meeting people in Latin America, meeting designers in Latin America, I realized, and especially, like, like you know, there are a lot of designers um, that I admire that are very much like modernist or like sure. very much this, I would say, mainstream global sure. thing. Sure. But then I was like, there's a lot of things that are local. Yep. And they're really amazing and they have a completely line, different line of thought. Yeah. And maybe they are more vibrant and maybe they are more colorful because they are like trying to reflect their world, which yeah. is 
maybe more colorful. <laughs> yeah, and local can scale too. Exactly. I think that's the the misperception and the myth of of that of the Bauhaus approach, and I think the Swiss approach, where there's a misconception that vibrancy, localness, can't be a larger thought, but it can. I think we're proving that out. Yeah, and also like. I, I was like I will I will just take music as an example because I look at it so much. But yeah. like oh I, god I yeah, that was what, like me at MTV was just looking at music all the yeah. time. So you're you're just gonna see yes, but yeah. just that's just one example. But it goes for everything. Like with streaming services, like we are seeing, for example, more music from other countries, and you know, I don't think that like I don't think that Latin music in the past was everything that we see now. Yeah. Like, it was very much like ballroom music, you know? Ballroom music, what do you mean? Like music to dance and go to ballrooms in the oh. forest. You know? <laughs> oh, actual ballroom music. Yeah. And, like, now it's, like, a very, like it feels weird to say Latin music because it could be so many different things, you yes. know, here. So just, like, seeing more of the world and, like, the world seeing more of the world is just like it's really important and it, it just it just has more uh visual iterations to it and uh i think that you're super right about how you view the design like for example taking the brazilian design for example and maybe also the visuals and how it look it will change the more it goes global you know yeah. and vice versa yeah oh that's interesting the idea of it changing as it goes global do you think your work has changed, well, I guess that's a good transition from when you left Brazil and then I was reading a couple of things. I did some research on, I did some research on my friend. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you said that in an interview, you were approached to go to New York to work at Sagmeister and Walsh. So, and did you feel one, an evolution of your work at that point? What was that evolution? But also how did you, feel about coming to New York? Well... And what, and what year was that? Let's put a timestamp on it. That was 2000, end of 2016, beginning of 17, and like, yeah, I definitely feel a difference. Like, New York is its own thing, right? Like, um, I think that New York designers are very, are very specific. Like, I, I was just like, Oh, really? they're all skaters? <laughs> that, that too. It's also like the idea of a personal voice was very New York to me, you know, which is also a privilege. And when I was like in Brazil, I didn't really care that much about finding my personal voice. And like when I arrived here, I was very much like, oh, okay, should I have like my personal work really strong, you know, like... I think they're like, and this is something that a lot of designers go through, like, should I lean into my personal voice or should be a more generalist kind of person, you know? Now, six years later, I can tell like, oh, this is where I can contribute more yeah. in my practice. But like at the time I was like, I see a lot of designers who are very much leaning into their own thing. Like, is that what I should do? Is that like better, you know? Yeah. And I think that that's how New York be like really started to influence me. I was also like working with people that I really admired. Like, right. and I'm talking about like literally the whole team. 
and people who came from all over the place. Like there was people from Eastern Europe, there was people from Israel, there are people from Brazil too. There, like there are so many different kind of designers that I never um, worked with. Yeah, like everyone here is a thing. Yeah, and they all they all had their like own views and contributions that were so different than mine. So like for me it was like really not to say that's like better or worse, but it was like op like it was like mind opening for me to see like oh there are all those other ways of thinking and it definitely made my work better not to just like take all of their thoughts but filtering like oh this this is really interesting this is not really interesting like mm -hmm. um but i think like in general like brazilians do very much with very little you're expected to like you don't have a lot of resources usually and like you're expected to like perform as well um, what is that? Why is that? Do you think? I think just like the, well, things change a lot. So I I don't know if like how it is now, but at least like there was an aspect of education and design education to your client that that I think it's like different here. Mm -hmm. I think that every country has it. It's just like the like how design is. Everyone yeah. will have to be like this this client or the the industry doesn't really understand the importance of design. I hear this in every country. Right. But I I think that in Brazil there was like um I felt that design wasn't as valued uh as I felt here. And that is to say in terms of like making design part of core part of the business. Which is something that... Oh, like attaching KPIs to design. Exactly. And how does design affect the success of the business? Exactly. And listen, like, I mean, we both know y this. Yeah, we both know. Yeah, right. I mean, of course it will affect the business, especially like in a platform. Like, like one OKR in the business is a design uh, choice, but it, I think that like I hardly saw this in companies that I worked at in Brazil. Mm. What was your clientele like at, in Brazil? And then how did it shift when you came to the States? Uh, when I had Studio Barca, I had a lot of like smaller branding um, clients. I had a lot of illustration clients for, and that's like for larger clients. And I worked a lot of with like beverage companies, like large ones, right? banks, like a lot for illustration and this kind of thing. And I think that, like, it's interesting. I never thought of this, but, like, I like the biggest clients were illustration clients. Mm. And here, not, you know? Like, also, I only worked in-house uh, or in agencies in, in the States. But uh, it's interesting that, like, I could make more money out of illustration than other design choices. Yeah. And that shows, like, it's, a, it's an example of, like, what I just said. Gotcha. And, yeah, I guess it's it's so different here because the, the branding and identity game here in the States is a bit more, it's a scale thing. And um, the approach is different. And also there's, it the education still exists, but on a much larger level. Like, if you have a, if you have a degree in journalism and you know how to, use Illustrator, you might be able to be uh, a branding and identity expert out here. Yeah. Yeah, you really have to walk them on a journey. What was your, um, when you left, actually no, I'm gonna talk about Zuba. Like, I'm, gonna hear, I'm gonna hear about that project because I just love that space and I love that project. Tell, tell us a little bit, it. yeah, tell us a little bit about how that came into your life. 
well, so I was working at Enwalsh, and Zuba came as a project of like, okay, this is an Egyptian restaurant that's coming to New York, and should we change the brand? Should we not change the brand? Like, how does that work? But what they really wanted was to like have visuals that relate to the city, so... I didn't know how to approach it. There were a lot of, like, mood boards and nice references, you know, and yeah. um, the studio did a lot of work in strategy and research. And But looking at this, I was like, I don't know where to start. So one day I was, like, thinking about how New York, New York and Cairo are very similar when it comes to street food and, like, there's so much to it and I was like what if we merge Cairo and New York as two cities how like how would this look like graphically mm -hmm. and I was looking at calli uh, Arabic calligraphy and like fonts that like as a foreigner too look very New York to me which is like bold like statement yeah. all caps and then I was I by chance, by like, like bold, brutal, sans serifs, yeah, exactly, <laughs> like like energy, 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 exactly, impact energy, and like then I by chance, by totally chance, by experimenting a lot, and that's something really good in the studio. Like we had a lot of time to experiment. I created an A, which is the Zuba A, and then I was like, oh, this is this feels fresh. <laughs> this feels like Zuba. This feels like what the client wants. This feels like what Jessica wants. This feels like what they the energy that they want to bring to New York. Mm -hmm. So I started working on all the letters, and thank good, thank God, goodness, it was just like Zuba, small short name. <laughs> so I could iterate on those letters, um, and then uh, the client had said, please, do not bring hieroglyphs to this, and. <laughs> And it makes sense, right? Yeah, and, right. And then... Uh, this, we but there's had, an icon system. Exactly, which is very much like hieroglyphs. Right, well, it, it serves the same functional purpose without having the, the, the visual equivalent of. Exactly, but I was like, okay, what is he trying to say when he says, like, do not use hieroglyphs? He's trying to say, like... Don't do be not, expected. Yeah, don't stereotype, right? Which is like... Well, let's make fun of it. Like, let's make it an irony, you know? And the irony there is, like, mixing uh, the worlds of car in New York. So, like, yeah. you see the gay train there, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. Like, like, looking at the A now, because I just have it on my laptop, like, it just feels hieroglyphic without being it. Yeah. Yeah, it has a very unique draw to it. That's cool. And then for, like, those, the ink trap and the A and the Z... And the connectivity. This is like before ink traps were a thing, I think. Yeah, I don't know. Oh. <laughs> I mean, I don't I know. No I really don't know. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. Like the colors were there. I, I was like, frame frames work well because it's easy to use in the future, you know. Right. And um, we work with June, who helped us expand the whole uh, alphabet, and like. Yeah, it worked well. The, the client was really amazing, to be honest. Like, and I also, like, the studio was really amazing in the sense that, like, we had amazing research and, you know, creative direction, of course. But also, we were busy. We were working on a lot of projects. And I remember, like, telling Jessica, I was like, hey, I want to just work on this project. Mm -hmm. And if I work on more... 
I'll spread myself thin and it will I will not do my best job and I feel this is like it might be like really really cool and she was like okay and like that is something that like it is hard to to do so like we were able to to do this and uh, we had like amazing illustrators like the ball and like we had amazing like animators and the name you know her. yeah of course yeah and like we just had an amazing team zooming worked on this so much and it was just like it, like we had the tools that we needed to do yes. a good job and also the client was like for the mural there were like a lot of iterations for the mural i bet oh, damn because that's like the 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 big signpost stamp yeah like the calling card right and i was stressing out over this i was like hey we did so much work like what if the mural doesn't look good he literally said just make it art yeah that's cool you don't get a client like that many times you know and the food is fucking good yeah like you know it's like the price is good the, i'm not like trying to sell it but the price is good <laughs> i the know food is good and this it's isn't close. an ad <laughs> i was like damn I, I i i'm able to go to a place like that is actually close to my house and i get to see a design that i actually like like yeah. that was like i was really grateful to be part of this that's awesome how did youtube come into your life well Never thought I would work in tech. Yeah. Uh, but then... Someone reach out? Like, what was... I just wanted, like, what's the... Literally, like, someone call you, email you? What was the situation? Well, a friend of a friend worked at YouTube, and he said, Hey, I think you would be good for this. Yeah. And Were you at Andwash at the time? I was at Andwash. I was, like, working at the branding for the new... For, for Andwash. And, and I was, like... Oh, uh, with the ampersand? You were doing some of that? Yeah. And I was like, I don't think I'm a fit for YouTube, you yeah. know? I think, like, but then I just kept thinking about it. And I was like, I am an agency person. I worked in agencies my whole life. And, like, I worked in branding. And this, like, the kind of work that you do at a studio, like, you know, that focuses on branding, like, in Walsh, is very different than the work that you do in tech. And yeah. I was, like, afraid. Yeah. But at the same time, I was looking at what they had, and I was like, you could do something really sick there. Yeah. Um, the possibilities are kind of wild. The possibilities are wild. And just like, if they're open to it, like, this could be really cool. And then what I did is that, like, the Google, I mean, now it changed a little because of the pandemic, but the Google hiring process, all tech is, like, so slow. And there's so many phases and mm -hmm. like it's very and it, it's good because like they're really considering it, but it they uh, it took a long time. So like I was able to like, OK, let's interview at like other places that are similar to them mm -hmm. and see what the vibe is. Mm -hmm. And and I learned a lot. I learned a lot interviewing, like more than like the yeah. practice themselves. Oh, wait. So you interviewed at other places just to catch to get a comparison yeah. <laughs> to Google? Because I was like, I never I don't know this world. How, how is it? You know, I yeah. want to see how those companies work and like what is the thinking and like I can tell like how the team will work. And for Google specifically, I interviewed <laughs> like, yeah. I was being interviewed, but I was also interviewing people that worked at Google, designers. Oh, yeah. That came from, like, SBA and stuff to see how they feel working there. Yeah. And I got a lot of, like, good comparison to how people felt and yeah. a lot of, like, similar threads. Yeah. And I was like, 
that's like was able to make a decision but also like when i met the team it was basically just like looking at their faces and be like could i get along with those people you know right and like they were just chill like they were just like not worried i was like if they are not worried and if they're able to just talk to each other and be nice to each other that's like that's a good place you know yeah I think it's underestimated the idea of like, you know, when you're getting interviewed, you're also interviewing them. Like whenever I've been in those conversations, I don't even like the word interview. I just like the conversation. Yeah. Because the understanding when I walk into the door is, hey, do I even want to be here with you? <laughs> you know, and um, I understand that there is also like a hierarchy, power dynamic, whatever, whatever words and terms we want to use. But I'm not going to lose my own power walking into this situation. And I'm going to acknowledge that. Uh, overtly <laughs> right that's so that's so right like because because you just said like oh do i even want to be here talking to this person like yeah. i remember do even, I even like you yeah like you're gonna have to see this person and like of course i'm not talking to the recruiter on a daily basis but the recruiter is like a reflection of the culture of the company so like right. how they talk to you like like you amped know. up exactly i was like they if they're talking to you like they are excited about you you know that that means something i like i was so i i i can't believe i did it but i also read a book about google's culture oh my god you did so much research holy <laughs> shit because i was like if i'm changing like from the job i want to be sure that i'm gonna like it and i was like one thing that i really liked it from the book <laughs> was that what book was it in the plex in the plex yeah okay uh, actually, the recruiter told me to read it, and I think she was just, like, surprised that I actually did it. But I was like, oh, you know, there must be information there. And they said, like, the culture was, like, in the beginnings, it was very much, like, the hierarchy was in a way that people who was, like, an intern could say what they felt and they wanted to do to, like, the CEO. And I was like... That's something that I think is very important, you know. This and book is 464 pages, by the way, listener. <laughs> it's not a short book. Yeah. I was taking the subway, like, 45 minutes. Yeah, it's know? not a bathroom read. It's before, it's before the pandemic, so the commute was long. Oh, my God. <laughs> so so when, you, when you took the job, and then I guess, you know, it's different. Because it's funny, because you and I just had a bit of an inverse journey. Yeah. So I just went back agency side, and I recently left... Um, MTV, uh, but you know the the difference in scale as well as the approach. What I think is interesting about like going into tech and also going into that, I guess, deliverable type, is that uh, it's essentially thumbnails, right? But thumbnails are like there's a true science behind it, where there's like deep, deep thinking. It, it also deeply connected to KPIs, metrics, success on a very exact level, right? But also, you know, the, it's easy to delve into a space where it becomes the Wild West. It becomes yeah. the Wild West and then there's no system-based thought or, some, or not an organizational principle around it. And I think especially with an, um, an experience like um, Google Music or YouTube Music, the app itself, what I enjoy about it is that you need a level of variety so you're scrolling and you're, you have things have to catch your eye but also you have to balance that with a need for brand attribution and alignment on a brand level so it's such a difficult line to toe and i see with some a lot of the work that you've put out i feel like you're you're doing so great about not just towing that line but maintaining visual interest but i also see you in the work 
Yeah. You know, you, know, you, you brought something really important, like, because we're talking about all those metrics, and like you said, it can become the Wild West 100%, and it's a battle. Yeah. Because, like, you can justify a lot by saying, like, a lot of things that might not relate to culture, or but, like, culture is also a metric, you know? There's, uh, we're talking about music here, and, like, you gotta bring the culture, you gotta bring, you know, everything that comes with it. It is about emotion, so, like, this is also a metric. And, of course, like, it's a thumbnail. There are, like, a lot of specifics. Oh, my God. (laughs) You know. Yo, (laughs) thumbnail science? Yeah. Oh, God. I remember when I met you in person, and, like, I was like, yeah, what do you want to... We were like, well, let's talk about this experience, MTV, YouTube, and I was like, what would you want to talk first? And you were like, thumbnail best practice. And like that just I don't know why but I was like I give me the cheat code <laughs> give me the cheat code let me know what it is <laughs> yeah I think the what I learned at Google and I was like very eager to learn this when I went there it was like how do I talk to the people in this industry yeah how do I and like do I what the things that I'm proposing are they right and like a lot of times I learned no you know, but there were a lot of times that I learned like, yeah, it makes sense what I was proposing. And just like the way that you present and talk to people in this industry is different than your regular client from an agency. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, they all have different languages. Like, what is the language of an engineer? <laughs> you know? Yeah. What and, is the language of an engineer? Well, <laughs> you have to show step by step and like really show like this is for this. And like, it was really interesting to put in words things that I wouldn't put in words before, like, why is this composition a line left? You know, and there is an explanation for that. And maybe yeah. we don't think this of this as much because maybe some clients will not ask you. Right. It's a different type of grid. It's a different ki- type of grid. You you have to explain, well, this composition really reminds a people of, like early like low production flyers and it's really simple look look do you see the similarity oh okay yeah. we see it so like this font like and like fonts are like the a whole thing right because yeah no one under i mean we think about fonts because we're designers yes people in the world with more things to do yeah they don't think about they fonts. don't care yeah and a lot of times the design's good but the font's not good and just like for you to explain to someone who never thought about fonts that yes. like it will change a lot that's a that's a whole multi-quarter conversation yeah that it, it <laughs> oh my god i i can't imagine how many audit decks you might have had to put together of like this is something that isn't that good here's something terrible here's a best practice and then explaining the why of all of it and it's the long game right it's a, a long lot game. of times like the best convincing thing that i could do was just like let's launch something that might perform well but then we launch something better yeah. that will perform so much better and then you will see like you know oh the design impacted that yeah, yeah. and then the the audience or the user uh, might start interacting with the app in a completely different way and invalidate everything that you did like six months ago totally totally like it was you like it was an experience to see like I never had the experience of like launch something yeah I mean Working at Sagmaster and Walsh, working at N Walsh, you launch something, you will hear comments on brand new. You will hear what people are thinking. Yeah. 
Do you like, pay attention to those comments? I don't. I no. give zero fucks. I, I don't, because I don't, I, they have the paywall in some websites, yeah. so like I don't. <laughs> I just look at comments though sometimes, and not, this is a bit of a diversion, but I sometimes look at the comments on brand new, and this is super type nerdy and like brand nerdy, and I'm just like, ooh, yeah, that hate though. Yeah. A part of me just like, yes, yeah. I just want to feel it. I want to, <laughs> a part of, one of my dreams is one, to do something that gets put up on brand new, be associated with it, where there's just so much hate that I can just like, oh yeah, I just wanna, I wanna be energized by how much people are railing against this thing. Like they're feeling something. Yeah, they're, yeah like, oh, you felt that, dope, yeah. <laughs> you know? There were only like, I would say like, two comments that I was like, oh, all right. Yeah. So there was like one comment that like, from like one thing in the past, it wasn't like about work, it was just like me talking. Yeah. And someone said, damn, this girl is a workaholic and she needs to get a life. And I was like, you know what, that person is right and I did get a life. And <laughs> the second part was like one time my friends worked on a project and used my, a photo of me. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> In one of the mock-ups. Oh, wow. I can... Okay. You, you see where this is going? Yeah. And someone commented, like... And it was for an app, like, a, a app related to work. And it was a photo of me that I think I was actually using it. Was, my, was it the headshot? Was it yeah. your current headshot, the one... That, no, it was a very similar one because that's, you know, my angle. Yeah. But it was, like, other colors. <laughs> and the, someone commented, like, this girl thinks she's on Tinder. This is a work app. And I was, like, <laughs> then, and then I was, like, okay, I'm actually going on the paywall. I'm paying for, like, the subscription oh, here God. just to comment back. I was, like, you know what? I do use that on my Tinder. <laughs> and it did work because I'm dating someone currently I met from this photo. And I also used this as my work profile. And it also worked because it did get me a job I like. And then she was like, oh, my God, I thought this was like Shutterstock. I didn't know you were a real person. I'm so sorry. Oh, wow. I love the I love the heated exchange. <laughs> That's then, amazing. When we were at the Young Guns party, mm -hmm. a girl looked at my face. She was like, I know you. And You're I was like, the app. Yeah, and she was like, I saw your picture at the thing, and I love the comments. Like the, <laughs> it was so funny. Wow, like the the design comment wormhole can just be its own thing. Mm -hmm. It's such an echo chamber of people because it's not like YouTube comments where you just feel like, oh, this is, this could be anyone from anywhere. Yeah. This is more like, oh, this is from a very specific community that is also commenting on the exact same stuff yeah, in like, this one place. Is this person, this anonymous, is this the person I'm thinking of? Like, you kind of... Like, yeah, I was yeah. like, oh, is that that person? Is that my hater? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, but back to YouTube, uh, YouTube music. So, uh, well, I would love to hear, what, what are your favorite projects that you've worked on while you've been there? Um, I really loved working. So, there are a lot of projects that are, like, not online yeah um that maybe are not like so youtube branding is one of them i never put it online yeah uh i really love working on this um just because it is something that we will leave on and yeah it's something that you know more permanence more permanence and it was like something that we worked with so many people and it was really interesting to be like oh, this is a very flexible system that can really encompass things that I was thinking of before I joined YouTube, you know? Yeah. Or, like, there's some, like, more ad hoc or, or, like, specific projects that I really like working on. Like, 
Asian Pacific Heritage. Oh, yeah. yeah. I remember yeah. We, were, we were talking about those mocks. Like, I love that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it looks so beautiful. The first one was the first time that I was like, let's bring this energy out of app. Let's bring this energy to the billboard. Let's make this campaign big. And, and then it became like an official process, you know? Like, yes. okay, those campaigns, they're a boring app. They actually go out of app and, you know, and it was the first time that I think that I put those thoughts of my identity in a, in a project. And then the next year I was like, let's, let's bring more people to this. And I yeah. work with Danny Choi, who's amazing. Oh yeah. Danny Choi is amazing. She's so good. Oh yeah. Young Guns this year or last year? No, last, last year. year. She's, I mean, and she was in Colorful too? Yeah. The first time I saw her work, I was like, damn, I want to work with her. Yeah. And she's so good. Um, How many eyes? I mean, you must have the metrics. Or at least those metrics do exist. How many eyeballs saw that, do you think? I don't know. But, yeah, that was, that. usually those things perform really well. Right. And it, it, it's good, too, to, like, not only get the... CTA is there, but also get like the artists, their feature like responses, like, oh damn, I really, you know, this really, this yeah. really cool. So like, we had an event this year, yeah, this year with Pilo, like this Bay Area rapper. Yeah. And I was like, I know who Pilo is. Yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> I'm the, an old man, but I know who for Pilo the is. listener. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, look, I was like looking at him. Like rapping in front of the videos, I was like, damn. And he was like, damn, this is so cool. And I was like, <gasps> really? <laughs> like, you know, that, that, that is nice, I think. Uh, so, like, I really like working on those. Um, and I really like too, like, there's some, you know, I, I, I worked on mixes. There, uh, there's so much that I can tell, you know? Yeah, yeah. But, like, I work on, on their mixes, and it was really interesting to see, like... And we, those are, like, playlists? Yeah, like, mixes. Like, you... Uh, how, how often do you have to refresh? Um, I have been there for almost two years, so, like, yeah. it hasn't been in a long time. But I refresh mixes, like, two times now. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. And... Tell us all how your algorithm works. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know. Um, it, it's just, like... I think that some projects are like it, it was just interesting for the amount of like iterations and work that you had to put outside yes. of design on this yes. and just like talk to so many engineers and like learn how to like what do they think performs well and yeah. like what do I think is like a good compromise right. there you know because there's a bit of the historical that has to come in and there's like a predictive thing and then there's the emotional connection to the culture exactly yeah and we we didn't have like artist images there, you know, before. Right. Now we do, and it's just like that makes a big difference. It makes a huge difference. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what What's your take on, I guess, the permanence versus temporariness of design? I think a lot of old school designers, or more traditional designers, think that designs, you know, it's etched in concrete, right? But then now I think design, at least like this the generation that we're currently part of is much more iterative. It's associated with platform, which in and of itself is iterative, mm -hmm. ad hoc, like you were saying. You know, you'll do um, an uh, APAHM campaign that is essentially temporary. It's a moment in time, and then it'll go away, and then it won't be there anymore. You know, it's so ephemeral. Yeah. Th does that matter? I have a take, but like, I'm curious to hear what you think. I want to hear what you think. Oh, <laughs> I, th I think that... Um, 
I think that it's cool for design to be temporary. A part of me is slightly nihilistic in that I I'm down to burn it all down. You know what I mean? Like I don't care. At, at You're the a revolutionary. I don't know if I am, because <laughs> sometimes I look at stuff. Uh, that I'm putting out there that I've done as part of like a large organization. I think, wow, this is really conservative. And I feel that I'm uh, like, am I just playing into, the, am I playing into the man? Am I playing into the uh, patriarchy right now of of this like a white cis heteronormative mindset because this is what I think works. And then I'll have like a much more rebellious approach that's more a personal thing. Uh, but I mean, at my core, I think that everything can change and why shouldn't it be able to change? And uh, I don't really hold a lot of, I don't really ha have a lot of personal meaning or I don't really pay attention to the personal meaning of, of a logo. I hate to say it. Like when I look at the AT&T yeah. logo, kind of don't give a shit. Yeah, whatever. Right? Yeah, like I don't fucking care. Like I, I understand that also it's an iconic thing. I understand that the swoosh is an iconic thing, but also I don't give a fuck. <laughs> oh my God, I have so much. You know? Okay, so. Yeah, go for it. I think there are some things. Hot take, hot take time. <laughs> well, the first thing is like, when I when I joined Google, I was like, well, I don't want I don't want to launch this yet. Like, let's, let's literate more. What if it goes wrong? And then someone said, then you just put something new on the platform. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. We're not sending it to the printer. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and like, that is one thing. Yeah. But I also think there are things that should last more and some things that should not last more, you know? Yeah. Like, I think that, like, I, I had this professor a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> and he came from architecture and he was like, you know, like, the other thinkers were talking about, like, building with, like, very heavy materials and long-lasting materials. And some other thinkers are thinking of, like, this material will not last, but it's more... But that's okay. That's okay. Maybe it, this beauty is not supposed to last that much, you know. And I think that oh, like this beauty is not supposed to last that long. Wow. Yeah. And yeah. it depends on the use, right? And yeah. I was thinking of like when it comes to branding, some refreshes. The refreshes are faster now, but also the world is faster now, you know. Yes. And of course, we don't want a branding that will go stale like in two years. Right. But maybe we branding is a PR move now. Yeah, it's a totally different thing. Yeah, but different like, need. A campaign. It's basically a campaign. Yeah. Like, yeah, new CMO moves in, new executive leadership. Mm -hmm. Hey, let's do a brand campaign. Let's do a refresh. We have a good PR stunt. That's it. Changes two years later. Totally. And I mean, some things are not supposed to last. Like, APM 2021 yeah. is one thing. APM 2021 for well, me meant like, something. Meant something. Yeah. It, it means something it, all the time, but yeah. Yeah, it means something like directly connected to the attacks against the alien community. So right. that branding is right. loud. It's not cutesy. It's fuck you. It, it is fuck you. Um, but the branding for for a pain this year, let's see, let's see. You know, maybe it's different. And, yeah. And I think that you're like, I feel we're calling it branding, but you're like the campaign, the visual. It, you it know? is. Yeah, yeah, it is. And it's just like. Some things are not supposed to last. Some things are supposed to last. Yeah. What are you listening to right now? Like when, whenever I talk to anyone, when I was at MTV and I was working with, you know, people that were always looking at what's new and also working with young designers. I still work with young designers, but young designers that were attuned to, you know, new audio uh, trends, sounds, literally just things I couldn't even fathom. What do you think are the advantages 
of working at a at a music platform and also how has that opened up your your musical aperture uh, great question i definitely think more of music like i became like a record nerd which is something that oh, really? i didn't think about before yeah like i got way more into music about like the music industry and stuff but like i i don't think it changed my my listening habits that much like i think probably the thing that i mean like who have you discovered um well this is this is so stupid i wish i had a better answer <laughs> but like i wish i was like all oh, this artist that no one knows but my first work at Google was with, like to feature Justin Bieber, <laughs> and I never paid attention too mm-hmm. much at Justin Bieber. But I was like, ah, this this uh, this single is super cool, you know. Yeah. Um, but you know, I definitely. What started... Bieber song was it? Was it him and Kid Leroy? <laughs> no, 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 it was before. It was the one with the red uh, visuals. I can't remember. Oh. But no. it said like my mom. Hate doing shit. Oh, oh, okay, yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. <laughs> look it up. But you know, like this is something that I would probably not listen with so much care. But right. I, you it's know, like, temporary. Talking about temporary. Yeah. Yummy. Was it yummy? Yeah, it was yummy. And you know, I, I also like working with playlists f- from different countries. Like I learned a lot about like K-pop, for example. I would learn anyway, right? Right. <laughs> I want to see that Broadway musical. Huh? The K-pop Broadway musical. Wait, what? There is a K-pop Broadway musical that just opened. It's called K-pop. <laughs> and uh, descriptive. Yeah, yeah, descriptive. Like you very exactly. And uh, yeah, I just I heard like some really good things about it. I'm very curious to see it. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah and, wanna... and it's all Korean cast too. That's awesome. Yeah, it'd be well, weird if it wasn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we, it's Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I think that like. I became more Brazilian. Oh, word. You know, when I moved here and definitely like when listening to music, like, you know. That's an interesting observation, becoming more Brazilian. Yeah. Because <laughs> I didn't really become, or this is a weird thing to say, I didn't start being open or big about my Filipino ness until probably Trump era. And also, oh. of course, um, you know, uh, in 2021. When when AAPI hate was like a whole was a situation that we had to reconcile with, so that's when I was like, okay, I'm gonna lean into this because I feel that one, it's important to acknowledge this, but also I was, it brought me a, a feeling of strength in a way that it hadn't before. How did you feel? Like how how did that show up? How did you? Um, ooh, I guess little, little things like starting to use the flag emoji more, you know, little things about saying like verbalizing first-generation Filipino-American um, or uh, starting or also verbalizing uh, Philippine X like you know which is an American thought like if I say Philippine X uh, it to a Filipino in the Philippines so like what are you even talking about right now right so mm-hmm. that that's a whole thing uh, but it came up in those ways where it was articulating it verbalizing it putting it in, in even digital spaces and also having it be you know, a part of my professional career conversation, and even this conversation, right? This is like an evolution of that. Like you, wh- you had a conversation recently, right? Like I saw this. <laughs> oh, I did. <laughs> what you was did. the conversation? Uh, at Fit. 
Oh yeah, and that was with um, oh yeah, yeah, Haruko was there, Michelle Moy, uh, yeah, Tim Ju from Hairfest, yeah. So, the, and that was cool, uh, where we're openly talking about um, the AAPI community within the creative community as a whole, and also aligning and talking about our experiences as that. So it was identity and career and navigation of that. In, in an academic space, which I think is something that no one has really brought to the table before. Never saw this, like not in my college. Yeah, it's wild, right? Yeah. Yeah. So what you so you were saying you became even more Brazilian, like when you came when you came here. Like is that why do you think that is, or how how did that manifest itself? I think. I mean, when you look at me, people will think, "Oh, she's Asian." Yeah. They won't think like I'm Brazilian. Yeah. And then like. Uh, it was interesting for me to learn when I'm Asian, when I'm perceived as Brazilian, when I'm perceived as Asian. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And there's like, and, and it was interesting to me to see how other people perceive me. It was also... And you're multilingual as well. Yeah. Yeah. You speak Portuguese. I speak Portuguese. German. A little, a little B2, bit of German. intermediary. Oh, there, yeah. C1 now, C1. Oh, really? C1? Oh, shit, okay. Took, took online classes during the <laughs> pandemic. And Damn, you are an academic. Oh, my God. I'm taking Spanish classes now because I'm like, I'm a Latina. I should. <laughs> I should. Um, yeah, but, you know, I was just like, it was interesting to me. It was interesting to, like, also, there's this experience that I learned just like going to Brazilian music concerts. Mm -hmm. Every, every fucking Brazilian music concert, the first word that the singer says, my eyeballs are full of water. <laughs> and I'm like, I am ashamed of me now. And then I look on the sides and everyone is crying. Oh my God. Yeah, that happening so many different concerts. Ah. Uh. Yo, everything you're saying right now. Okay, so I saw this musical, Here Lies Love, and it was a David Burns music, but based on the life and experiences of Amelda Marcos in the Philippines. And it was a Joe's Public Theater. It was a it was an in the round experience, but like it was all David Byrne club music. Cause also like the uh, the Marcoses in the Philippines were just wilding out, right? So the same experience where, and this is like David Byrne, so it's like, you know, pop. Uh, but I'm just like crying this entire show, but like I'm standing because you're just in the round, like, and it's happening all around you. Yeah, like, I, whenever. Like, why am I crying? Yeah, like, whenever I see a thing now, it's just like, maybe it's also a function of age, but yeah. I'm just like crying all the fucking time. It, it, it is emotional. Like, you, you were saying, like, oh, how did I show up? It's not like big things, right? You're still the same person as you were yeah. before 2020, but you just, just feel like, it. You just feel completely different about yourself. And, like, for me, I was just like, things change a lot because I have been here for six years, mm -hmm. but like, small things like people perceive you very differently so like your whole identity is changed you know i can only imagine how it was for like our like relatives back in the day when they arrived and like those right. conversations were not being had and like yeah i just think like like what are those emotional triggers that would make them feel that way yeah there were i mean for me i remember like like this this friend that i met when i first arrived and like didn't talk to that person for a long time and then talked to them again. And they were like, 
oh wow you're so different and i was like how so like i feel like the same person and they're like i can't understand what you say and i was like this person wasn't understanding anything and i could see like their facial expression when they look at me different is different you know yeah like um i was also thinking about how like the first time that someone saw me for who i was and not just like that flat version of like whatever they like assumed of me and it was like that person like will like change my life forever because they were the first person person who made me feel seen here Mm -hmm. you know who saw me beyond like i would actually have this um interesting question Mm -hmm. uh it was a test so oh okay what was the question i would meet someone and like not like and I, i would say like okay if someone would interpret you in a movie who would that be and i would ask who would interpret me but of course i mean wow you are setting a booby trap yeah exactly (laughs) that is an absolute trap but to me that was like (laughs) now i will see who you are oh my god so this is the beginning of a first date or at the end of a first date or the middle well it's like the end of a first date or beginning of a second date and I would say, this is like, oh, Yo. this looks like a fun question, but like that, that's going to tell me if I'll see you again or not. Yeah. And <laughs> if the person oh, says like, and I was like, this is only about personality. This yeah. is not about like That's look. so funny. If the person said like a random Latina that has nothing to do with my personality, I'm like, oh, they're oh, seeing the flat version of me. Shit. Yeah. Well, so who's the, give me the good version. Like, oh, what's the good answer? Well, I got Drew Barrymore once. Okay. And I was like, yeah, Drew Barrymore looks nothing like me. Yeah. But she's a little goofy. Yes. I get that. Yes. But um, also, we, I feel like we know as a society who Drew Barrymore is. <laughs> you know, like she's had a full, she's had a full life experience. We've seen her since she was like a kid kid. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that's interesting. But I also got that, uh, not a Latina, but I got Penelope Cruz. This woman is fancy and sophisticated. That is not who I am. Yeah. Also, it's just because she has an accent. <laughs> you know? So that tells me a lot. Wow. Talented actress, but yeah. That's so funny. Amazing. But I'm not her, unfortunately, you know? <laughs> All right. So I want to switch gears just a little bit as we're wrapping up. Uh, how do you take care of uh, mental health? I know you're big into physical fitness. I saw that you were, you had a little bit of a, a PT situation. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, let's talk about mental health and also how you're staying balanced. Well, I'm not. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> We're not. It's We're trying easy here. answer. Oh, God. I mean, yeah, I was I was training this year. Like, I'm I'm not going to... Did you run a marathon? Why is it wrong in thinking that? Well, half, but I'm not... I was... I'm, I was going to run the marathon, but I'm... Because I'm on PT now, it's going to be next year. What happened? So, I was overdoing it. <laughs> and oh, my God. Overachieving yeah. human being. And I know the exact day that it was. It was a day that I went training, and I was, like, doing more than my trainer told me to do. But I was like, yeah, I'm going to do it. Yeah. And then... I'm an animal. I'm a, I'm a beast. <laughs> like, I'm not a beast. And I hurt myself, and now I'm learning how to walk again. You walked here just fine. Yeah, I mean, actually, like I biked thirty miles. Like it, I'm fine, but like the oh landing. Oh my god, listener, do you hear this? <laughs> the landing is what hurts me. So like when oh. the impact of like running, so like I cannot jump. On what? You know? On your knees? On your what? It's my sore major right leg. 
Really? Yeah. Okay, so what's the recovery process look like for that? So it's like three weeks to three months. So oh, just God. PT and, you know, doing I, very small movements there. Little things? Yeah. Because I saw you doing like um, single leg hops on Instagram. <laughs> and I, I wasn't able to like hop on one leg. I was like, this is so stupid. Yeah. Like, from like, it, it is a humbling experience to go like, I'm going to run a marathon and to like, I need to learn how to hop. Wow. I remember when I turned 30, this is a while ago, <laughs> but when I turned 30, I wanted to like, oh yeah, I'm so physically doing a thing. And now I realize at this point in my life, like, oh God, I could, of course, what, we, what am I even thinking? <laughs> right. But, um, I was training to do a tough mudder, which is like a 13 mile situation. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's like a mud run essentially. Oh, cool. Yeah. And, uh, but full of obstacle courses. Right. So yeah, so it's 13 miles. It's on um, an uneven course with a variety of landscapes. And then you do swimming thing, and I can't swim, so I'm an idiot. So you can't, is there a swimming thing, you have to jump off stuff, you have to climb things. It's a whole experience, and you're supposed to run it with friends. But I'm thinking, like, oh, I'm going to train for this. I'm going to win Tough Mudder. By the way, listener, you don't. no one wins Tough Mudder, by the way. Um, it's more just, like, for the journey of it. And then I was going on my morning run, similar, like, kind of doing the most. And then I got a hairline fracture on my right oh. metatarsal, my pinky toe, maybe two months out on my right <laughs> foot. And a hairline fracture, it hurts, right? You can barely walk. So I was in a boot, and then I just a couple of days, I was like, ugh, this sucks. But then I just kept going to the gym on crutches just no. to do upper body stuff because I was an idiot. And then I, uh, I timed it out so that when I could actually take the boot off and go for an actual run was the day of the Tough Mudder. So I still did it. Were you, you were in pain, right? Uh, I was more just unsure of myself, mm. cause, uh, but I was just also running a little gingerly, but then after a couple miles, I got, fuck, I'm just gonna do this. And it was okay, but then next year, I was like, I'm gonna do it again. Same exact injury, same place, same timing. And I love that the injury is like the like the pinky toe, you know? <laughs> but if you get like an injury in your pinky toe, oh God, it lays you out. Yeah. Yeah. Zion Williamson, Zion Williamson had a hairline fracture, I think in his foot last year and he was out for the entire season last year. Th this is the thing. I was just like, I, I can't believe, like it's just like a one tiny thing but that, that will impact you so much. Yeah. But I gotta be honest, like the exercise, cause like, I, I didn't run before, and I was very much in the your own your own thinking of like, oh now I'm gonna like, the thirty is I'm gonna be yeah. this person, and like I started doing this thinking like, oh it will probably also be amazing for my mental health. It was not like, <laughs> it didn't help me at all. I feel the same as I did before. Like one yeah. day I had a, an eighteen mile for like a, for the training. Yeah. And the whole an time I was like, mile casual. I was like, I should be feeling. Do you do it in the morning or night? What's, what's night. A, night. Night. Because like morning, uh, everything. I need more water in the body to like. Yeah. Are you a morning person, or night person? Night person. No, not neither. Afternoon. <laughs> oh really? Yeah. I became a morning person and started training in the morning to wake up so that I could be ready for the day. That is good. I want to get to that point, but it's hard. You it need is hard. to be very like. Discipline. I think it's an it's an age thing too. It it didn't hit me until I was in my late thirties. I think. I'll wait for it. <laughs> I was just like, I should be super like happy and like relaxed and everything. Now I was just like, this is so boring. Like when is this gonna end? You know. Yeah. But what I like for for the sake of mental health, what has been helping me the most is to be easier on me and be like, 
I'm gonna take the day off because I'm feeling like shit. And because like I would never take a mental health day off, you know, right. I would only take a day off if I if I was just like, oh, I cannot breathe, so I need to go to the doctor, you know. Like now I'm like. I'm gonna take a day off because I'm feeling not like myself and totally. I need to go for a long walk. Yeah, wow. Okay, so I have two final questions. This has been a great conversation, by the way. Two final questions. One, how soon are we, because you in the space that you're in, how soon are we uh, from just having AI and machine learning designing everything for us? Ooh. And also, I'd be curious to hear your take specifically. And uh, what are you looking forward to? So. One hard one and one easy one. Okay. Wait, looking forward to in what aspect? Creatively. Like, what's, what do you want to do next? Okay. Well, the first question, um, I have things that I have been thinking and we have been planning and I cannot say everything. Of course. <laughs> but I do think that, like, AI, I mean, we have been seeing AI, you know, we have been using AI to, like, create imagery and that's really amazing. Yeah. I think that, like, this can be a good force to like help people create stuff and like express themselves i also think that mm, some people might not want to and like you give them tools to create stuff but it can be easier and also you know like ai with some with some guidelines there yes ai can, with guidelines ai with guidelines it can help people express themselves creatively yes and that is really cool um but for a platform to say any platform a youtube-like object <laughs> so for any platform that has to refresh quickly refresh constantly where the let's say ai or let's say the the interface existed on two levels right where the a sort of branding attribution icon system that uh, uh, that also was attuned to uh, to eye tracking, but let's uh, if that had to change based on user behavior at the time, could there be a separate AI-based grid that could adjust according to the user behavior, but then have the background image be something be an element of static? Could that be a level of permanence, or could that st sit around for like a year or two, two years, but then the grid be a bit more dynamic based on user? interaction do you know what i'm saying it's like that type of ai approach so there's still a level of clarity understanding brand attribution those are things that i think can be um somewhat adjustable based on ai does what i'm saying track or I'm, am i i'm gonna cut this this part <laughs> of the podcast and bring it to a meeting i was like what do you think this is actually a good idea <laughs> Yeah, no, it's not bad. It's That's like, really cool. Yeah, because you, I remember at MTV, we have to change thumbnails all the fucking time. Yeah. We have to, and also, we did a massive MTV rebrand that, you know, that took about two years of my life. Took away two years of my life. <laughs> uh, that where there was a conversation about, um, but also shout out to the team. Everyone did, like, such an amazing job. But there is a backlog of thumbnails that the question was, do we even want to touch these? <laughs> because, because thumbnails For show sure. up anytime. They show up yeah. anytime, anywhere. If you need to bring, if you need to quote pop culture from a time, that thumbnail is going to be the first thing that shows up. That's going to be an an antiquated thought to the current expression of the brand, right? Yeah. So how does how do we have AI be help us in that regard? I think that the AI give us information. We make the decisions, right? Yes. And like I think that that's when we people are like technology. You're like we still have to 
make sure that we are in control and that AI is just information. Yes. And then we think, is this good? Like, because in a way we're already doing it, right? Like, you, you, it's not AI, but you already get information from the data, from the clicks, from the, and just like, okay, like people are really, really want this, but is this good? Is right. this safe? Right. Does it keep our users safe? Does, you know, is it good long term? So like, yeah, yeah, I think that, but also like, you do have nightmares about thumbnails <laughs> to this day. I can tell. Oh yeah, the PTSD. Yeah. Ooh. But uh, yeah, but the sick part of me loves it though. <laughs> Uh, and on the second one, I am looking for, and I have been thinking about it for a long time. I don't know when this is going to happen, but I'm looking forward to exploring more like with the design, with my design skills to like personal projects and like things. I Like I think a lot about like urban planning and stuff. And yeah. like, I I don't know, like the project, the personal projects that I have I'm like I don't know if I'm if I can do this you know I need to think more about it but like maybe I'll just carve more time for this uh yeah do you ever want to go back to having a personal practice no really yeah not at the time like I think that you just like I I have a lot of friends who have their personal practice or like not only in design but other areas and it's it's an amazing skill set that you have to have because it is so much beyond design and I think that like the idea of having like the tools that you need to focus on design and you know not only design hands-on but like the management of design and making sure that your team is safe and the happy. The management of design, right. Yeah, you're like this is such a luxury, like this feels really cool and like I yeah, like I, I think like working at Google, I think it's such a luxury to have like a legal team or like all sorts of teams that can like really focus on like one specific thing while I focus on this, you know? So like, yeah, I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Gabby, this has been great. Thank you so much for being here today. I had a ton of fun. Yeah, me too. I, I, gonna... I knew I would have fun with you. Oh yeah, I'm so stoked. Um, are you gonna, am I gonna see you at the Young Guns party next month? Maybe. Maybe? Maybe. All right. All right. Um, let's uh, go on a fun run. I don't know. I had no ending for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will need some mounts for the run. Yeah. That's going to be a tough one. But bike rides, yeah. Bike rides. All right. Gabby, thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks to Gabriella Nami for coming through. If you want to see more of her work, GabrielleNami.com is where you can find her. That's G-A-B-R-I-E-L-A-N-A-M-I-E.com. And also at GabrielleNami on Instagram. So grateful for her to come through today. That was an amazing conversation. And also, you can find the First Generation Burden podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcast content. Please rate us and drop a review. It helps the algorithm. And go to firstgenburden.com for all the episodes. One word, firstgenburden. And on Instagram, we're at firstgenburden. You can find me, your host, Rich2, at rich underscore tu on most social media platforms. Thanks to Timothy Simonson for production. Shout out to Gym Class Heroes. Thanks to the DesGin team for their support. And thanks to you, the listener, for always coming by. We drop on Mondays. New episode next week. Be safe, everyone. <laughs>